Hello and welcome in. We appreciate you joining us for this Thursday edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. It's March 1st and the offseason is well underway around the league in the Sun Belt. Last Friday, the Sun Belt League offices announced the complete 2023 football schedule for each of the 14 member institutions. And on today's episode, episode 71, Caden, we thought it would be fun to discuss some of our favorite non-conference matchups for this upcoming fall. We're going to be releasing a complete schedule release episode in the coming weeks. More on that later. But for now, we're going to jump into some of the best out-of-conference games. Caden, I'll admit it, I'm really excited for some of these matchups, particularly some of the home games against some of these Power 5 schools. Definitely. And we obviously love to talk and keep track with the conference title race on this podcast and the interconference matchups. When you look at the schedule and you look at some of these teams in the Sun Belt, what they did last year, what they're going to have expectations to do next year, just really excited to see some of these non-conference battles. And I think they'll be a great barometer for those teams moving forward, especially the ones early in the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to learn so much about some of these teams uh, in the Sun Belt and others very early on in the year. Today's topic is another topic that comes directly from the Ferrarian Smith mailbag. And as we've said on multiple episodes, if you still haven't sent in your mailbag uh, question, take a minute, pause this episode and send us a quick email at Smith at gmail.com with your burning Sunbelt football related questions. You might find your question featured on a future Ferrarian Smith podcast episode. With that said, Caden, let's jump into today's episode. Caden, we divided up the work for this episode. I went ahead and took the Sunbelt East schools. You looked at the schools in the Sunbelt West, and I, th- I think it's easiest for us to just go in chronological order. Uh, most of these matchups happened at the beginning of the season. So, Caden, I'm going to go ahead and go first right here. And the first matchup that really caught my eye on the, the Sunbelt East side was the early season matchup between Coastal Carolina. Uh, they traveled to UCLA uh, on September 2nd. And Caden, this game going to be the first ever meeting versus UCLA for Coastal Carolina. These are two programs that are on the very outskirts of the country, separated by over 2,500 miles if you were to decide to drive it. So maybe one of those Shantz fans needs to take a trip all the way out to uh, Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. Only Sunbelt matchup of the year against a Pac-12 school, which is interesting. And Caden, I think what's really cool about this matchup, it pits, you know, the the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena versus the Teal Turf. I mean, two iconic college football stadiums. Uh, so a fun matchup there. When you look at the two teams, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who had a fantastic career at UCLA, his career's over. Uh, and right now, currently, they have a young freshman in Dante Moore at the top of their depth chart. So early on in the season, it'll be interesting to see how the quarterback position plays out for UCLA. Meanwhile, you look at Coastal Carolina, Caden, I feel like we say his name on every episode, at least every other episode, and Coastal Carolina is bringing back three-time All-Conference and Player of the Year, Grayson McCall, at the quarterback position. So they're set at the quarterback position. Also, a couple more things. First-year head coach Tim Beck's first game as the head coach of Coastal Carolina. Talk about jumping right into the fire. And he's matching up against a guy in Chip Kelly who has four years of NFL head coaching experience and nine years at UCLA and Oregon. So Definitely a novice versus a pretty experienced head coach. And Kane, here's why this game's important. If Coastal Carolina can get off to a great start, they've got games the next two weeks after this against Jacksonville State and, and Duquesne. Uh, and so if they can, you know, play well against this UCLA team, maybe you win that game. Maybe you make that game close. You're setting yourself up for a great start to the season. So that's the first game that caught my eye. I know that uh, you had a game on, on September 2nd uh, that also caught your eye. 
Definitely. I think the quarterback matchup in that one's so interesting. And along with the head coaching matchup, I think it's going to be a great barometer. And I think you, it's clear that a lot of NFL scouts as well who are interested in a quarterback will be intrigued in that matchup. But going with my week one matchup that I was excited for, have to be super pumped about South Alabama taking a trip to Tulane to start off their season. As far as group of five season openers goes, I don't think it gets much bigger than this matchup. We know Tulane's coming off of their storied season, their storied turnaround under Coach Fritz, where two and 10 season in 2021 goes to a 12 and one season in 2022. Obviously they won the American conference and also won that cotton bowl and that thrilling game against USC. And really now coming into this season, they're the group of five champions. And I think they're going to try to hold that mantle as best as they can. And they're going to get a huge test from the South Alabama team who we've talked about all off season is bringing back so much talent. They're bringing back on the offensive side of the ball, Carter Bradley, they're bringing back LaDamian Webb. They have all that continuity on the defensive side of the ball and the well as well. And with their entire coaching staff. And if you look at Tulane, kind of a different story for them. They're losing their star running back in Tajay Spears, who's going to the NFL. They're leading tackler in Dorian Williams and their two top receivers from last year in Mikel Jones and Deuce Watts. That's a lot of talent you're losing if you're Tulane. And I think on the flip side of it for South Alabama, they kind of have to like how they feel as far as what they're bringing back in this game. This is a South Alabama team who we talked about on both sides of the ball, bringing all those, all that talent back. And I think if they're on make that comp that conference comp campaign, if you will, trying to be ranked, trying to push for maybe that Cotton Bowl spots themselves. I think it's going to be a great opportunity and a great start for them. This Tulane team, we're going to see how their season goes, but going into this season, they've garnered their respect across the country as far as a group of five teams. So if South Alabama can knock them out in this one, I think it's going to be a great way for them to start off their season. Yeah, no, definitely uh, interesting there, but shame on you because you missed the most juicy aspect of this matchup, and that's the fact that defensive coordinator from Troy, Shiel Wood, is the new defensive coordinator at Tulane, and we saw what Troy did to South Alabama last year uh, during the regular season, so I think that that will be uh, pretty juicy there in that that first week of the year, but yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, and certainly could be a huge barometer for both of those programs. Uh, we've talked about South Alabama's you know, thoughts about being the best team in the Sun Belt, being in the top 25. You've got to win that game in week one if you want to get in that conversation early on in the year. Uh, Kane, I'm going to move on to a game in week two between Georgia Southern and UAB. And uh, this is going to be the second, you know, meeting between these two teams in the last two years. Uh, first they, time they met was last year in Birmingham. This is the second half of that home and home agreement. Uh, last year, they lose 35-21 on the road. Georgia Southern did. Kyle Van Treese in that game threw three interceptions. Jalen White, though, did run for two touchdowns. And after three quarters, this was a one-score game. Uh, 21-14, Georgia Southern uh, falling a little bit behind in that fourth quarter. But, Kane, here's what's so interesting about this game. You've got Clay Helton on one side. Again, very experienced college head coach. And then you've got Trent Dilfer, who's the new head coach for UAB, 14-year coach. Uh, veteran in the NFL at quarterback, Caden. I, I picked this out of his bio because I knew how much you would appreciate this. He actually beat your Giants in, in Super Bowl 35. Uh, so I figured, you, yeah, I mean, come on. I, ha I had to get that in there when I saw that. Um, Caden, here's what's so interesting about Trent Dilfer. Last year, he was coaching high school football at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. Obviously, he's got, you know, the playing experience, but it's going to be interesting to see right off the bat. What does he have at the college level? It, it's a transition uh, big time higher there for UAB in terms of name. But uh, I think the jury's still out on, on what he will bring to that program. A couple other things about this matchup. Uh, both teams are going to have new quarterbacks. Dylan Hopkins was the you know starting quarterback last year for UAB. 
He entered the transfer portal after the season uh, and went out to New Mexico, uh, where he will play uh, this coming year. And Kyle Van Treese, again, well-documented uh, on this podcast. Fantastic year last year after transferring from Buffalo. Uh, he's out of eligibility, currently pursuing a future career, perhaps in the pros. Uh, and so both teams without or will have new quarterbacks. Uh, Caden, again, the one thing that we've seen in the Sun Belt this year is so much turnover at the coaching staffs or on the coaching staffs. And Georgia Southern is going to be one of those few teams that's bringing back all of their position coaches uh, or, you know, coordinators, rather. Todd Helton or uh, Clay Helton, rather, comes back. Uh, Brian Ellis will come back uh, as the offensive coordinator. Will Harris uh, comes back as the D.C. And, Kane, this game's important because at the end of the day, Georgia Southern, you want to put yourself in a good position here because the next week you're traveling to Wisconsin uh, and that environment's going to be fun. That's going to be a, a great game against Luke Fickle, who will be early on in his tenure at Wisconsin. So you want to have a good game in this game uh, to set yourself up for that uh, that big matchup against the Big Ten the following weekend. Definitely. You touched on a lot of great points that's making that matchup so exciting. I'm definitely excited for it as well. And I think another good point is they're playing Wisconsin after that, but they're playing the Citadel to open up the season. So that's an opponent where when you have that continuity with the coaching staff, you might have to replace some offensive pieces and some defensive pieces. But you had to, going to be able to build up that confidence a little bit going up against the UAB, who's going to have a first-year coach and definitely have more question marks heading into the season versus what they're going to have in Statesboro. Going to my Week 2 matchup, though, that I'm super excited about is an in-state matchup between Texas State going to UTSA. I think we've talked a little bit and had some excitement going about this Texas State team. And I just think this is a very juicy in-state battle. You talk about a UTSA team that's obviously earned themselves some respect with back-to-back Conference USA title wins being ranked on numerous occasions. And then you look at G.J. Kenny and Mac Leftwich, who have been extremely productive at a lower level in their offensive system, now being able to face an offense that kind of has a similar blueprint. They love to air the ball out as well in UTSA. They love to push the pace. I think this has the potential to be a high-scoring, exciting, air raid type of game. And when you talk about the quarterback talent, Frank Harris decided to come back to UTSA for yet another season. He's already established himself as not just one of the best group of five quarterbacks, but one of the best quarterbacks really in the entire country. And we've talked about the excitement around a guy like Malik Hornsby maybe being able to win the starting spot at Texas State. And he's proven that he's going to be a dual threat option. And it's going to be very exciting to see what he's capable of against such a formidable opponent. And when you look at his Texas State team the week before, they're going to play Baylor. And that offensive system probably is not going to be able to be as well-oiled or tuned of a machine as it'd like to be, same on the defensive side of the ball. But I think in the following game against a team like UTSA, we could see some some more promise from that offensive side of the ball, some more confidence. This is a great team, but they're not going to have those power five dudes that they're going to have at Baylor. And we now know after seeing that bowl game against Troy that this UTSA offense can be stopped. We saw what Troy did to them in that bowl game. And that was one of the premier defenses, if not the premier defense of the conference last year. But this Texas State defense is no slouch. So I think as far as an in-state game, maybe a new rivalry that can be produced if the trajectory of these teams goes in opposite direction. I think this is going to be a great in-state exciting matchup for the Sun Belt and for Conference USA. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think that that's a a fun matchup early on in the season. I guess selfishly for Texas State, you wish that that matchup was a little bit later on in the year so that you could further solidify that new look offense, but uh, certainly could be a lot of fun. Everyone loves a good in-state battle there between UTSA down in San Antonio and and, and Texas State and San Marcos. Okay, and I know you've got your eye on another big-time matchup uh, for Troy uh, in Week 2. 
Yeah, I couldn't help but put this one on here just because it was such a good game the week or the year prior to rematch with Troy versus Western Kentucky. We know that was a spectacular finish last year at Western Kentucky. This time it's going to be in Vanderbilt's Memorial Day, the place where we now know is near and dear to our hearts from going to that game. And we just know it's going to be probably another ruckus environment there. Last year was a 34-27 battle where Troy came out on top and it was that game where Jared Dagey came in in relief for an injured Gunnar Watson threw two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter to give Troy that lead. And then the Troy defense took care of the rest per, per usual, shut that team out. We know what Austin Reed and this Tyson Heldon offense is capable of. I mean, we've seen the numbers they've done the last couple seasons, and this is the same team that scored 44 points on South Alabama in the New Orleans Bowl. But at times in that game last year, Troy's defense kind of looked like that Western Kentucky offense is kryptonite, and especially in the second half when they just scored three points until that last second four four minute touchdown that they got at the end of the game so very excited about that and i definitely think that just based on what it was last year there's going to be a great barometer for this troy defense moving forward based on what they did against one of the best offenses in the country the year before yeah no that's a great point and, and definitely it's going to be a, a new look troy defense uh in in this game uh western kentucky again bringing back a lot of pieces uh from the year you mentioned austin reed uh, who signs the the NIL deal to to stay at Western Kentucky? So a lot of a lot of interesting storylines in that game. Okay, and I'll move on. James Madison at Virginia is another game that I have my eye on in week two, and here's why. This is the first meeting between uh, James Madison and Virginia since 1983, and Kane, it gets really interesting because ten years after the program was started, James Madison's program that is was started in 1982. James Madison beat UVA 21 to 17, and what was at the time probably the biggest win for the Dukes uh, in in this 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 series history and in their program's history. This will be the first meeting in 40 years between these two programs, and you certainly hope that there will be more of those to come. Also, another sidebar to this, James Madison's men's basketball team actually beat Virginia at home last year. So definitely there's some animosity, some rivalry brewing between these two programs. Uh, this game will be important, Caden, because at the end of the day, you get bragging rights in state, which is fun. And these these two programs, if James Madison wants to be what they say they want to be, they're going to be fighting for recruits. And so that in-state bragging right definitely matters. And so early on in the year, you're going to see that. Um, this is actually going to be the first meeting against the big three teams in Virginia. I'm, and I'm categorizing those as teams like Liberty, Virginia, Virginia Tech, since James Madison has joined the FBS and this will be their, their first game. And then they're also going to play Virginia Tech in 2025. So definitely some in-state games to keep an eye out in the future. Tony Elliott in his second year at the helm of the Virginia program, you know that the struggles that they had this past year, they dealt with the emotional trauma at the end of the year after the shooting, uh, but he'll be looking to bounce back in his second season. Signetti's coming into his fifth season. Here's some other fun, interesting storylines about this game. Former Marshall quarterback Grant Wells expected to be the starter at Virginia this year. Uh, and he's going to come back as the starter. James Madison, meanwhile, they've got that open competition between Brett Griffiths and Jordan McLeod. I think Jordan McLeod's kind of that early favorite for the job. And Kane, I think the most important aspect of this, the week after, week three, James Madison is going to be hosting Troy, or actually, rather, I believe they're going to Troy in that matchup, but they're going to be playing Troy in week three, and so you want to have a good game here against Virginia. To me, this is a very winnable game early on in the season for the Dukes. 
It definitely is. And I think when you talk about in-state matchups between group of five and power five teams, it's always a great thing to see, especially when you look at a team like James Madison, whose stock has only been going up these last couple of years, proving they have that winning pedigree and a team like Virginia, who only won three games last year. I know those Virginia coaches, all we are going to say, do not sleep on this James Madison team. Do not underestimate them. And I think that just always brews and creates a great matchup, especially when you look at one that happens within the state. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. Caden, I think we skipped over one. You were planning on talking about Troy at Kansas State. Go back and talk through that one a little bit. Yeah, for the people, I'm sorry I got excited talking about Troy. I do have Troy two times on this list because they are the reigning champions and jumped ahead to week four in their matchup against Western Kentucky. But before that matchup, they will be playing Kansas State at Kansas State in Manhattan in week two. Troy plays SF Austin a week one, so that's not going to be a very big test for them. But I think them going on the road against the reigning Big 12 champions definitely going to be a large test for that team. I think when you look at this Troy defense, we saw how productive they were last year. We saw how well they played against every single opponent. This is going to be the first time we see is this going to be the same defense as was last year? Does it have that same culture? Does it have that same confidence? Even if they don't win that game, are we going to see that same pride from their players when they step on the field from when the final whistle blows to one's done at the end? They don't have to worry, thankfully, about playing Kansas State star running back Deuce Vaughn. He's going to the league, but they will have to worry about quarterback Will Howard, who took over late in the season last year and played extremely well for this team. But this team, like I talked about with Western Kentucky and the Grayson McCalls that they faced, you're used to playing good quarterbacks. This is a Troy defense who's now built up that pedigree. And I think them getting such a big test so early in the season is something that everybody in the Sun Belt will be locked in on. Because if they do shock this team, if they do win, they do play well, if their defense shows shades of what it was last year, I think it's going to put the entire conference on notice. So I think it's just going to be truly Troy's first test. I think it's going to be John Summerall's first test of, is this the championship DNA do you still have that pedigree that you had from the week before or the year before sorry hey big test early on and I mean if you listen to our our previous episode on Tuesday we talked about the you know the you know the pressure meter for John Summerall after some of those expectations that they set last year going 12 and 2k and it's also interesting with this matchup I don't think most people remember the fact that Kansas State beat TCU in the big 12 championship game before TCU would go to the college football playoff and play for a national championship so this is a Kansas State program that's looked good over the last couple of years and is going to create problems uh, in this game. I'm not sure this is a winnable game for Troy, uh, but if that defense is any semblance of what it was last year, it definitely could be interesting in this contest. Caden, here's one that's near and dear to your heart that I want to talk about, and that's App State versus East Carolina in week three uh, on the 16th of September. Uh, this has one of the more storied histories of the games that we're talking about here in the non-conference. This will actually be the 33rd meeting uh, between the two programs. And Caden, you're going to like this. Uh, until 2021, it had been a six-game winning streak for Eastern Carolina in this series until you and your buddies decided to end that uh, in 2021, uh, that win in Charlotte. So you can puff your chest out a little bit after ending uh, that losing streak. But this series began all the way back in 1932. So a a very long series here. ECU is coming off of their best season in recent program history. Their first bowl win since 2013, where they beat Coastal Carolina in that Birmingham Bowl. Meanwhile, Caden, again, the struggles of App State last year, well-documented. They're coming off of their first bowlless season since joining the FBS. So Two programs that were headed in different directions last year are going to meet early on this year. Uh, Sean Clark is uh, the head coach, obviously, at App State at his alma mater. And Mike Houston is the head coach for um, 
This East Carolina side, he used to be the head coach at James Madison from 2016 to 2018 before he left for ECU. Signetti came to James Madison, so a fun t- Sunbelt tie-in there. Uh, and, Caden, I think it's interesting for this game. Both sides are going to have new personnel, particularly on the offset, offensive side of the football. App State, they're not going to have Chase Bryce. They're not going to have Cameron Peoples, who are both pursuing NFL careers, USFL careers. Uh, but then you look at ECU, and they've had a legendary quarterback of their own in Holton Aylers, who is gone. He's decided to end his football career at this point. They're also going to be without Keaton Mitchell, who is expected to be one of the top running backs picked uh, in the NFL draft this coming April. Uh, and so two major weapons, uh, for really for both teams, will be missing in this game that now these sides are going to have to try to figure out how to replace. Uh, so definitely some interesting storylines. If you look at App State, this game's important because you've got Gardner-Webb and UNC before that. You're probably beating Gardner-Webb. UNC might be interesting. Is that a winnable game in Week 2? Possibly. Uh, ECU in Week 3. And then you've got Wyoming coming right up after that. So if you're App State, you've got the pieces right before at the beginning of this season to kind of reset, remind that fan base why they should be excited about App State football. And winning against ECU at home is a big part of doing just that. So I think that's going to be really important for them. Yeah, and in-state games in general are just a big deal, I think, for this App State program. Really, all the teams that play in the state of North Carolina. And you talked about the game two seasons ago. It was an electric one that was in Bank of America Stadium. ECU's fans, I can say, showed out for that one. Not just as well as App State fans, but they showed out very well for that game. And I think I expect a lot of them to travel to this game as well, it being so early in the season. But you talked about the two key positions that have to be addressed early on in the season for both of these teams at the quarterback and the running back spot. I mean, these are people that are going to go down as all-timers in both of these schools' histories. And now the quarterbacks in this game, whoever starts for either side of the ball, or either team rather, is going to have two weeks to kind of prove themselves and then head into a big-time matchup in this one. So I think we also saw how App State played after a week of playing UNC last year. So no matter how that game ends, that's the one they went to Texas A&M and handled business there. So I would be scared of any App State team after playing a UNC team for sure. And I'm definitely super excited about this one outside of my bias, just in general to see what both of these teams look like, especially on the offensive side of the ball so early in the season. Hey, Caden, all I'm saying is uh, this might be a date that you and I circle on our calendar. It might be time to get back up to uh, to Boone, North Carolina for this one. So we'll see. But, Caden, another game in uh, on September 16th that you wanted to talk about, South Alabama at Oklahoma State, continuing kind of a gauntlet that is the Jags' uh, opening season schedule. Yeah, and there's obviously pros and cons that come with that early season gauntlet. And I think when you play big-time opponents in the beginning of the year, I know as a player I preferred to play those teams early on just because they don't quite know who they are either. And I think both teams coming into a game kind of not having their identity fully established gives it more of an even playing field. But I couldn't help but put this one on here. It's obviously the second time I've put Troy and South Alabama on my list. But I do think when you look at the South Alabama team, you can't help but seeing how they played against UCLA last season having this one circled as well. I mean, they did not flinch in that road matchup at UCLA. They should have won that game. We've talked about that infamous fake field goal. And so has Kane Womack. But I think they have all of the players and pieces like they had from last year. And I think there's no reason to think that they also won't flinch in this matchup as well. You talk about an Oklahoma State team that is as consistent as it comes. They were 7-6 and six last year. And Mike Gundy has had a winning season every single year, except for his first season at the helm in 2005. But ever since then, they've been crushing it. And I think 
a lot of that has been carried by consistent quarterback play, but they do lose their star guy in Spencer Sanders, who's been the quarterback there for a while. He transfers to Ole Miss and leaves Oklahoma State as their all-time wins leader, passing a guy like Mason Rudolph. So I think when you look as far as question marks go at the quarterback position at the Power 5 level, this is one that's going to have a lot of people people's eyes on it's going to have a big magnifying glass on it and we talked about the duality with the Tulane matchup with they're bringing back versus what South Alabama is bringing back I think you could say the same thing about this matchup you have a guy in Alan Bowman who transfers in to Oklahoma State who was at Texas Tech before and was at Michigan before but there's going to be a quarterback competition heading into this game and I think if there's any kind of toss-ups any kind of not so much confidence in it heading into this one. There's more controversy. There's more of a chance that maybe another quarterback gets thrown in this game versus the South Alabama side. We know who they're going to throw out there. We know what they're going to do in this game as far as their personnel goes. So very excited about this matchup. And if they do end up knocking off a two-lane and find a way to even compete and win in this game, it's going to be hard to argue with them, I think, as far as their schedule goes. If Can they be ranked? Can they be that combo team? Can they be that, that guy as far as in the group of five representing all of the group of five at the end of the day? So I think... Does their beginning of their schedule kind of cause some problems? Does it test them early? Yes. But if they do pass those tests, I think it's going to be hard to look past South Alabama, not only in the Sun Belt, but across the country. Hey, you win those two games to begin the year, and you'll be looking at South Alabama as probably a top 15 team if they are able to do just that. But certainly, you know, a a big task early on in the season. Kane, last game I'm going to talk about here, and that's Marshall at NC State. This game Kind of an interesting schedule. It's uh, the first week of October on the 7th of October. uh, One of the later non-conference games in the early season. Uh, This game is actually going to be the the fifth matchup against NC State for Marshall. Marshall 0-5 all-time dating back to 1991. Uh, Two of the last four meetings, though, in Raleigh, Caden, have been decided by one score. And so things could maybe get interesting in this game. I know Marshall is going to be a trendy pick to win the Sun Belt. We saw what they did to Notre Dame a year ago. NC State has to be a little bit scared about perhaps having that help or happen at home. Caden, uh, this game really interesting because Marshall's coming into it after they've just played at ECU in week two, and then they were at home versus Virginia Tech in week three. And then after this game, it's actually going to be their Sun Belt Conference opener. They're going to host uh, Old Dominion in week four. And then you look just a little bit farther ahead, and they've got Georgia State the next week. So it's kind of really interestingly sandwiched in between Old Dominion and Georgia State, both games that Marshall needs to win in the Sun Belt, and they're not going to be able to overlook. And so NC State certainly comes at an interesting time of the year. Caden, uh, when I just talked through the schedule there, there's an FCS game for Marshall in Week 1. You've got ECU, Virginia Tech, and then Old Dominion again in Week 4. Here's the talking point of this game. Is there a chance that Marshall's undefeated at this point, that they're 4-0 at this point uh, heading into week five? And if they are, they're probably going to be ranked at this point heading into this game against NC State. NC State could be ranked. Uh, And so you might get a fun little matchup here if things go Marshall's way early on in the season. I'm also interested to watch the quarterback battle in this one. We all expect Cam Fancher to take another leap forward uh, in his sophomore season. He's the presumed starter. Meanwhile, NC State, they're going with UVA transfer Brennan Armstrong, who's going to be the new starter at NC State. Uh, And so interesting quarterback matchup there, I think, as well in this game. So it could be a lot of fun early on in the season. Uh, This one will be in week four, uh, week five, rather, in uh, for Marshall. So an, an interesting game and an interesting time of the year to keep an eye on. Okay, and there were so many good non-conference games, and I know that we each 
couldn't just narrow it down to five. Uh, I know we each had a couple of honorable mention uh, games. What were some of yours? Yeah, I just had one on this one. And I think when you look at the just the talent across the country and in the Sun Belt, we could kind of knowing what we know now and our coverage of it, we can kind of find some interesting storyline or something to get into with all of these matchups that are non-conference games. But my honorable mention is Louisiana playing at UAB. You talked about this UAB and the hire they had with Trent Dilfer, which just adds a just adds another layer and a juicy storyline really to all this stuff. He's a guy who, like you said, had the NFL career, coached at the high school level. And I think when you look at the NIL era, is going to be a face of a program who now can maybe keep some of that in-state talent at UAB in the building. Don't know how well he did as far as recruiting goes this season, but they always have a talented team just because they are in a hotbed of talent at the, being in the state of Alabama, I think this UAB team kind of similar to Louisiana as far as the winning pedigree that they've built up recently. This is a team that's had winning seasons the past six years, has made a bowl game appearance in all of those except for the one that got canceled because of COVID. But the new flashy head coach hire is cool. It's very early in the season, and you talked about it before. They will be playing Georgia Southern the week before, and I think when you're a team like Louisiana and you know what that Georgia Southern team is kind of made up of, very good barometer if you're a guy like Coach Desermo and that staff being able to diagnose kind of compare yourself, see where your matchups are and things like that. So I think facing the Southern the week before for UAB makes this an interesting matchup. And I think with them playing Old Dominion as well, Louisiana the week prior, they're going to have to get ready for Sunbelt play fast. So they're going to be coming into full force and full form into this game. So just another exciting matchup early in the season. Yeah, that one could be fun. I think the only one uh, that we that we also have to mention uh, for a Sunbelt West school, just because we don't want this fan base on the bad side, there's a really interesting matchup early <laughs> on in the season between Southern Miss and Tulane. Uh, Southern Miss uh, has the talking point of that they did beat Tulane last year, um, and then Tulane would go on to beat uh, USC in that Cotton Bowl. So another interesting matchup early on in the season there. Uh, Caden, I've got two more here just real quick. Uh, Georgia State versus UConn, I think, is pretty interesting on September 9th. Uh, we all know that uh, we really like Jim Mora on this podcast. Uh, he came on and we had a great conversation with him. I'm always going to be rooting for Jim Mora, except for this week against Georgia State. Uh, could be a fun little matchup here. Both of these teams are known for their run games, and we might see a lot of running in this game. Some good old-fashioned hard-nosed football and and again, looking at the schedule, this might be one. Uh, it's down in Atlanta that that you and I need to pull up for. So that's a that's a fun non conference game. And then, Kane, the last game that I wanted to bring up here was Old Dominion at or versus Wake Forest. Wake Forest out of the ACC coming to Norfolk to play Old Dominion. Uh, we saw what Old Dominion did to Virginia Tech last year at home, and so that could be an interesting game. Here's something else. This is only one of two home games versus Power 5 opponents this year, the other being Marshall versus Virginia Tech. That'll take place on the 23rd in Week 4. So some interesting, pretty juicy non-conference games. And, Caden, we're going to get more into the the full slate of, of games in the future. But uh, I had a lot of fun. I think these are some great games and uh, certainly going to be a lot of fun to watch some non-conference football this coming year. Definitely will be. I mean, I never thought I'd be rushing into football season, but now that we're talking about some of these games and really seeing some of these schedules and kind of trying to early make some too early predictions about some of the stuff, you can't help but get excited about some of the games that are going on, especially early in the season. Hey, we're six months away, almost or just, you know, just shy of seven months away. So let's get going. Let's start talking about some football in 2023. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Thanks again for your continued support of the show throughout the offseason. We're excited to continue interacting with you through the offseason into next year as much as possible. 
Again, here's another shameless plug to get your questions into our mailbag by emailing Smith at gmail.com in the coming weeks. We'd love to hear from you and answer some of those questions on the podcast. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Wednesday of next week. We're going to bring you a full breakdown of the schedules for the Sunbelt East Division. Uh, we'll tell you which teams have the toughest schedules, who has the easiest road to a championship game berth, uh, in the East. And Caden, maybe we'll even throw in a few teams that we think could surprise next year in the Sunbelt East. Well, that'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us in the show out. We're going to continue to bring you some great content about the Sunbelt throughout the rest of the offseason. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. Thanks for joining us again today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.